RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Nick Littlehales, the sports sleep coach. Uh, I met Nick uh, a couple of years ago now when he, he visited Gloucester Rugby and, and gave a talk on how to improve sleep for performance. Uh, he's got, you know, oodles of experience working with uh, Team Sky and Cycling, uh, England uh, football uh, and, and loads of other premiership teams in football and rugby. Uh, and he, he just gives really practical advice on, on how to get the most out of your sleep. And and as you might know, there's there's lots of research coming out about how important sleep is for improved performance, injury prevention, things like that. Um, and, and I'm sure you're going to get some practical advice on how to do that. Also listen to the end because Nick kindly gives us, uh, or Renegade podcast listeners, uh, a discount at his website for loads of products that will help improve your sleep. Uh, so listen to the end and, and we'll give you that too. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Thanks for taking the time to come and speak to us about sleep. It's my pleasure, Jamie. Nick, uh, j- just to start, tell us a bit about yourself, um, what you're currently doing, your involvement with uh, sleep and, and some of the sports teams you've worked with in the past. Yeah, I've been in the industry for some 30-odd years, um, previously as sales and marketing director for a big international betting company. And it was around 1998 when I sort of fell into the world of sport by accident principally with uh, the local club, football club to where I was working in Oldham Manchester, which is Manchester United. Um, I just became a bit disillusioned with the fact that sleep has always been clearly uh, an important recovery process, Um, but everybody took it for granted, wasn't a performance criteria, so I thought sport must be doing something that uh, the rest of us didn't know about. Um, That turned out to be no, they weren't. Um, I started to get engaged with the the club simply because they were intrigued, particularly from the physio's point of view. So the first little thing I did was was sort of uh, to to help with a a lower back issue for one of their centre-halves, Gary Pallister. Um, And just looking at his product, uh, unlike most people even today, he got it a bit wrong. So it was sort of, they came up with this word, debilitating rather than rehabilitating when he was there. And it sort of started to develop uh, a conversation in and around sleep and recovery and hotels and what players were buying to sleep on. And um, and just generally, it started to happen. There's very few sports science people around then. Um, certainly, recovery was not something on everybody's agenda. Uh, and a lot of the the new things, which I think a lot of people would be aware of, people like Sam Allardyce as a manager at Bolton, was really trying to push the boundaries um, and, and was always thought to be a bit crazy doing that. But uh, it's all changed now, hasn't it, Jamie? Um, <laughs> but along the route, um, you know, a high-profile club like that, suddenly the paparazzi put two and two together and those pampered Manchester United players have got a sleep coach who's... Uh, tucking them in and reading bedtime stories, no doubt. And and really, that's where the title stuck. And uh, I got asked to do more things. Uh, some of the players were in the England squad, so that uh, triggered some interest from the physio at the time, Gary Lewin, who was also 
split between Arsenal Football Club. So my first sleep workshop with the first team at Arsenal uh, at Colney was was uh, quite a scary one. Um, they'd all been asked to come and listen to a sleep coach. So really weird territory in those days. Um, did a lot of work in the Euros 2004 with the England squad, completely stripping a hotel out. And one of the first times we actually sort of organised things for individual players, which rooms they were in, where the rooms were, uh, taking product out there to improve what was in the hotels. So that was quite a significant point. But more recently, um, getting involved with British Cycling around 2009-10, also the birth of Team Sky. Um, and in and around that whole area, as a lot of people in, who, who like sport, read about sport, will know it was, it was a new strategic approach around marginal gains, the aggregation of them, so every little thing adds up. And I got asked to, to provide some practical you know, interventions and techniques around sleep. Uh, cyclists are pretty geeky. Um, recovery is massive for them. And as we went through a process, we even got to the point where I designed um, what was classed as a sleep kit, uh, a series of layers and bedding and uh, microfiber linen, all designed to tick all the boxes you want for sleeping, hypoallergenic, antibacterial, breathable. Um, and we put those together with the riders. We put them, I designed some kit bags and literally they went on the Grand Tours with them. So... It's sort of a, a performance factor where familiarization was a key. So while the guys are in the peloton uh, most of the day, um, they're already aware that in that hotel, whatever that hotel is, will be their sleep kit. We'll have put in air filters to clean the air out to make sure they can breathe right. So they were, they were sort of far more confident that uh, recovery was going to be. So it's one of those little factors. And they still do it today. Uh, I've just sent... Uh, 30 plus kits uh, in March they went ship they were shipped out to, to Rio for British cycling so they've all got their own kits because of the accommodation in Rio so there's um, it's certainly come on to everybody's agenda at the moment sleep um, so I work across from archers to rowers to sailors to bobslayers in the winter Olympics um, right through to rugby union rugby league um, at all levels, BMX, cyclocross, because it's pretty much it's not. In some cases, the sports um, do do have a, a difference because they're more, you know, like rugby versus archery. But in general terms, it's all about a personalised recovery approach for an individual and, and how they can put that into their daily lives. Um, since the early 90s, mid-90s, there's been some seismic changes in in the world that we live in and I think what's going on right now Jamie is that we're having to redefine our approach to sleep mental and physical recovery uh, for this generation because the demands and everything around it you just can't take it for granted you can't not treat it as some personal performance factor so that's pretty much where we're up to at this moment in time Okay, well, that's, that's not a bad CV to have, you know, Man United England and, and Team Sky. Um, let's get down to the kind of the, the bare bones of it. Why is sleep so important? What are, what's the kind of research say about the benefits of, 
uh, better sleep or longer sleep or, or the difference between the two? And, and what are the consequences if, if people don't get it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it should be a straightforward question. That, um, <laughs> but I, I've, I've been having, uh, I've recently been uh, writing a book. I've been having some detailed conversations with some leading people around the world in this particular area. And I think at the end of the day, you can you can pop into your browser and have a look around and there's a lot of research um, and our own experiences can tell us that what we're now starting to see is not just a, a refreshed feeling in the morning, you feel as though you've recovered, um, so that's a good sign. When you don't wake and you don't feel that, then you don't not do what you want to do that day. So when they, when they all look at sleep, there's always this caveat at the bottom that we're still learning, we still don't know enough about it and in recent because uh, we've got some tech in there and we can go a little bit deeper we can see that there are there are chronotypes genetic characteristics that we have used to be called owls and larks uh, AMs and peers it's actually something that's genetic it's not something you create and um, we've looked at they've looked at all sorts of things about sleeping longer increased performance factors or s sleeping less I think at the end of the day even now we're getting information that a poor sleep approach can even increase, you know, type two diabetes, weight control, anxiety, depression, um, right on to now we've got schizophrenia, dementia. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things now that are pointing towards that because we, as a population, we weren't taking, we were taking it for granted. The, the clinical side were clearly pointing to how important it is, but because we took it for granted, we were never really that focused on some of the consequences of it. But what we've got now, I've just done a recent program uh, with a, uh, a group of clubs on a player welfare basis, and the red flags are coming up. There are people who are relationship breakdowns, worrying, stress, becoming addicted to certain things that they use, the increase on sleeping tablets, into the system um, and all of these various things are really bubbling up and so there are some very there's some significant long-term uh, benefits if you get your sleep right in your early years and keep it going um, but right now I think the the world is just so demanding it's not from a negative point of view is it Jamie we love it we want to get every minute out of every day and I'm sure our goal is to try and not sleep at all find a way to do it <laughs> Stop wasting this valuable time, you know, because we could increase our life if we if we could get it down to something better. And the problem is, I've got when you look into sleep, there were five major sleep cycles that the human, for what we know, the human being has adopted. Um, four of those were polyphasic, which is sleeping two or three times in a twenty-four hour period in shorter blocks. Uh, the fifth one is a monophasic one, which is sleeping just at night, all in one block. And that was principally triggered by uh, the invention of the light bulb, allowing us to, to, to push the boundaries a little bit. And I think this generation, all my athletes that I work with and all the people I advise at any age, we are working in a polyphasic approach because that's what their schedules are doing to them anyway. But they didn't know what polyphasic meant. They didn't. They don't know anything about the sort of story around sleep. So, 
all I'm trying to do is give them things that we already know about, but they just didn't know about them, to use them to combat with these these um, these issues and problems. Um, you know, so that's about it, really. Yeah, so talking about those um, or the, the things you teach your athletes, what, what are some of the basics uh, or basic strategies, you know, people can, can apply now to improve their sleep? I think um, one of the... One of the, the conversations we're having at the moment is because because the text allowed us to, to move into the area of sleep with apps and wearables, you know, monitoring that, and it just keeps getting better. I think there's a there's a sort of zero to sleep hero situation's gone on. Is that almost up until probably a handful of years ago, uh, we never measured sleep. We never talked about it. It might be a well-being questionnaire if you're lucky. Did you get eight hours? Did you sleep okay? Yes, yes. Carry on. And then we've moved. We've got this tech available, which is available personally, and it produces data. We're not familiar with the data. We're not familiar with all the things it produces. So there's a there's a danger that if somebody gets hold, starts to measure their sleep using those things for the first time, not like heart rate or pulse, which is very familiar to everybody, but if they suddenly start looking at this data, they need to know what to, you know, is it all right? Can I change it? Can I make it better? What makes it worse? And in a lot of cases, I see they they bring them into the system, and if a group brings them in and spends quite a lot of money on the wearables and they don't have a strategy around it or they haven't thought about it carefully, they end up just ignoring the data. So what we always do is start with the basics. And I've just... Try to, you know, when you're talking to athletes across all sorts of different age groups and and demographics, you know, trying to redefine it for them. And one of the things we do is, is I've highlighted seven um, key sleep recovery indicators, which in each of those seven areas, if you go in and, I, and just educate, uh, increase awareness, maybe make a change, uh, put an intervention in or just stop doing something then there's inside of there there's a number of steps that somebody can take to to remold how they approach sleep and the way that 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 looks is is the first one is circadian rhythms um, most people know what sun up and sundown means but very few even today at all levels Jamie don't have a real grasp of what the circadian rhythms are and how important they are to us as human beings. And, and so that's a first step for most. They're just trying to understand that because everything you do should be with the thought that you know about the circadian rhythms, you know about what they're doing, creating highest points of blood pressure, uh, unsuppressing and suppressing bowel movements, um, all these various acts was all triggered by the shift of light and dark and temperature through our pineal gland, triggering all of these millions of cells and functions to do these sort of things within a normal 24-hour period. And if you get completely out of sync of that, because you're not aware of it, and most people aren't, you can, you can make some significant gains if you just look at what you're doing now and seeing how coordinated that is with that natural process. Um, the other one is knowing your chronotype. Uh, there's some great research now coming out. Um, you know, we've always known it. We've had owls and larks. We've got morning people, nighttime people. But for the first time, we're actually starting to do using data 
and cross-matching it. And you can clearly see that even when you've got two athletes, they're absolutely the same. They hit all the right numbers in every single way. But one's an AM, one's a PM. And that means at certain points in every day that they are going to be not as quite as alert as they should be, or they're moving from one phase to another. And, and we can clear, it's a baseball, um, took a load of baseball players, we got Dr. Christopher Winter over in the US, um, took all the data from a load of baseball players, events and goals and fouls and things, and, and also took all the, the, the um, simple tests to identify chronotypes. And would you believe it, um, you know, the PMers uh, gave more fouls away in daytime matches, scored less goals, the, and vice versa. Uh, and it may only be sort of marginal in some cases, but knowing your chronotype, um, particularly in and around sport and everything that you're doing, you may not be able to change what's coming to you, but you're certainly knowing your chronotype, you can minimize its, its effects. And every day, every week, every year, make little steps towards making sure you're a little bit more in harmony with that chronotype, not fighting it all the time. Um, the other one is thinking in cycles rather than hours. Uh, this eight-hour thing, um, which everybody just comes out with. But principally, uh, sleep is measured in a 90-minute cycle. So that's when you flow through all the various different stages, not in any particular order. So I just use that to construct a sleep routine. And so you, you basically get a constant wake time. Uh, for me, that's 6.30. It's, uh, it's in harmony with the circadian process of sunup. It's in harmony with everything that might happen in my life. I'm a morning chronotype, so I want to get up early and get on with my day because that's the best time of my day. So 6.30 is great for me. Um, I wander back in five 90-minute cycles. You've got 11 o'clock. And five 90-minute cycles is 7.5 hours, which is pretty much, wherever you look, is what the human being requires as a recovery process in sleep in any 24 hours. That's what, it's, that's what we sort of look at as the benchmark. So that is a five-cycle routine. And you put either side that, a pre-sleep routine and a post-sleep routine, Routine's a bit scary, but it's actually just doing things to bring you from a sleep state in the morning so that you're fully awake and ready to go and not rush that. And the pre-sleep process, particularly in, in today's world, is quite key from moving you from, from a wake state, moving towards that opportunity for you to go into a sleep state. And it's quite critical. So I use 11 till 6.30, but it also gives the athlete a series of timings. So we've got 9.30 into 11 is pre-sleep. We've got 11 till 12.30 is the first cycle. So I can actually use 12.30 till 6.30 as a four-cycle routine. I can also use 2 into 6.30 as a three-cycle routine and so on. And so what, I'm, what we're actually doing with the athlete, we're looking at everything that's going on in their world, both personally and the sport. We look at how many target is per every seven-day period, because how doesn't matter how far you look ahead and plan ahead. It's very much about what's in front of you is the reality. So as you look at the next seven days and you look about all the key points when you're supposed to be doing things, as long as me and the coach 
can see that there is an opportunity to get 35 cycles or maybe 28 cycles, which is equivalent to six hours a day, not seven and a half hours a day, then if we can see the opportunities at night, that could be four cycles. We also grab one midday, which is the second natural sleep period. We can grab a 30-minute or 90-minute there, or even early evening, which is the third one, uh, and a 30- or 90-minute one there. So what we're doing with everybody is we use cycles, not hours, thinking about recovery in every 90 minutes, and we're literally using these three natural periods when we can go into sleep to just make sure we're getting enough cycles across the course of seven days rather than focusing on eight hours a night. And the other ones are simple, just finding a pre-sleep and post-sleep routine that that athlete can do anywhere they're ever sleeping, um, looking at, at keeping tabs on uh, activity and recovery harmony, not to not to just keep busting it, busting it, busting it, busting it, just really trying to focus on, you know, you do a bit of recovery and a bit of activity, you've got a positive approach. Get it out of sync and you'll be less productive, Go won't go as fast as you would have done if you'd have just recovered a bit as well as done the activity. So that, that balance is there. And we coach about products, um, the sort of types of products that, that are good to sleep with and the types of products that are not. Um, and the environments that we sleep in. Um, and we, we very much sort of take a, a very simple view about those sort of areas because it's almost like when we're, in, when we're they're performing in events, Jamie, it's normally they're in villages or they've moved from a training camp to hotels and, and they're not at home. So there's always this danger of getting the home right and ticking all the boxes. But when you're in a hotel, you can't do that. So it's almost like, why, why is it that way around just before the Olympics? It should be the other way around. <laughs> so the educational process, and all I do is, is, you know, seven KSRIs, you're just going in there to educate, learn, take some of the myths away from things like mattresses that are supposed to give you a perfect night's sleep when there's nobody on this planet could tell you what that is. Um, so there's a lot of myths, there's a lot of misconceptions in sleep. A lot of marketeers sort of saying this is doing this and it'll change your life. And actually, if you don't know what the circadian rhythms are, if you don't know your chronotype, if you don't know that you can actually sleep in different ways, and I have actually got an athlete. You, you're going to laugh now, Jane, but this is why I couldn't an answer your question in the first place. That that specifically about the importance of sleep is there is an Uberman theory. Now, this is just something that was created, and that is sleeping for 20 minutes every four hours, two hours in 24. And you think, oh, my God. But actually, people have been very successful sleeping like that for years mm. without any particular side effects of any note. So just like a single-handed round-the-world sailor, there are human beings who can actually, for long periods of time, actually sleep on very little because we're so robust so the whole business about looking at things in cycles and hours is that you can you can really fine-tune you do not want to be wasting the athlete's time valuable time sleeping without benefits you can find out whether four cycles works just as good as five you can work out whether if you split it up with midday 
or evening, you know, naps, uh, controlled recovery periods, you can actually really maximize the schedules better. And then suddenly you get this, this wave of confidence that they're thinking, they're thinking about mental and physical recovery periods, not sleep. They're thinking about doing it and in control of it. It can remain flexible uh, because you're, you're confident about getting it. And the coaches have a great place to be because they can look at schedules and go, that athlete has an opportunity to get 30 cycles that week. We're happy with that. If they don't do it, that's up to them. But we can, we can show them and we know that they've been coached as well. So it's just a whole, instead of not necessarily coming up with something, wow, never heard that before. But it's actually just using everything that I've seen and experienced in the, in the industry and picking all of those things out. And I said, well, you tell me I've got to need eight hours at night, but what's this polyphasic approach that's the opposite? Well, that's just something we used to do. Well, why don't we do it now? Because of the light bulb. <laughs> well, it seems to make sense that. So it's, it's kind of like I just got confused because – and, and sometimes I still get confused because we still – really don't know what's going on here but what we do know is that we're certainly uncovering how important it is to us and that millennial uh, which is a new new little world but the millennial uh, population born in in the 20th century 2000 onwards they are they are coming through a world which is just almost unrecognizable um, with these seismic changes with how they approach things what they do how they gather information uh, the technology influence on them, which is all sorts of things. And that's where we're picking the next lot of athletes and players from. And so if we don't give them, because uh, it's for them really, if we don't give them something that is far more tangible, makes more sense, it's logical, it's not restrictive, it makes more sense in their world, it gives them you know, a reason for recovering. Um, then they're likely to, to not make the grade or burn out really quickly because um, some of the schedules we see in sport these days are just unbelievably crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we've touched, touched on there the importance of thinking about it in cycles and for focusing on it as a recovery tool, which I, I think is a great way of putting it. Um, in terms of that, so to, to catch up cycles, I know rugby players will be no stranger to having a nap What's what's the best way to do that? You mentioned you could you could do a thirty minute nap or or a ninety minute full cycle. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it's, for, for most people in the workplace, ninety minutes is 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 just not in the question. But it's kind of like you do you do get the opportunities, you know, maybe on a day off or with athletes, they've got the afternoon off um, or away from training or whatever. But thirty minutes is. Is, not, is that period which everybody's sort of comfortable with, um, that you literally just set an alarm for 30 minutes. Um, you find, just find somewhere, yeah, that just ticks a few boxes. I, it's, it's quiet-ish. Um, it's somewhere that's maybe not where you're normally always active. Uh, that could be sat under a tree, on a bench, in a room. You know, I've done it in the toilet. Right, <laughs> it's it's pretty scary. And I think once you start to get past the, you know, not everybody, but certainly whenever we're on a train, and we've got all our personal belongings around us, um, and we we sort of as soon as you sort of get this sort of repetitiveness, or you can put yourself into that particular mindset, bang, 
you know, most of us will will do it and have a some sort of nap drooling away or even talking or whatever in an embarrassed situation with people we don't even know. So I think what you have to get into your head is you don't need, you know, fancy $5,000 sleep pods. You don't need um, specialist rooms with music and water and essential oils and da-da-da-da-da. Principally, you know, I could nap sat in front of you while you're talking to me. It's kind of like, you know, when you're in that graveyard slot in a which is corporate thing for, straight after lunch meeting and you're in that room and everybody's there and we're all listening to tactics or whatever and and you just drift and you just come less conscious you you're there but you've just gone down a level so what you're doing is uh, strangely enough i've just got um a little polished stone uh, weird one but um, that polished stone uh, has some meaning to me, um, uh, you know, a family meaning to me. But it, it also, I just use it, it's a bit sort of like a meditative thing, is I use it that once I start doing that, you know, where I'm, I'm sat, then literally I start to shut down. Right? I'm just going to a, I'm just totally comfortable to go to that place. So all you need to do is you just... Some people might might use some mind space tech that sort of does a bit of that, takes them to a different place or binaural beats and things. They might listen to some music. They might do this and like that. But principally, just get in, put the alarm on, shut your eyes, and just just stare at that tree. You know, just look at that tree. And every time something comes into your head, just 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 keep staring at the tree. And you'll either just drop off, you may not drop off, but whatever it is, it's recovery time. So you don't have to be curled up in a full-on sleep. But once you start getting that together, like you said, the rugby guys, boxers love it, is, it, is you do start going into a sleep state because you're comfortable to go into it because the alarm's on and you'll come out of it. And a good thing to do with any, to give confidence that you're not going to drift or anything else is if you just take a, a sort of shot of caffeine um, prior to your nap slot, it takes about 20 minutes to, to kick into your system. So when you do come out of the nap, you're feeling a bit more refreshed rather than feeling groggy from it. Okay, that's a good tip. So you start, you start to get, you know, you start to get a better understanding about it, and and it's more important, it's more important to think that that. Uh, I know between one and three, there's an urge and a need to cl clash of sleep. I know that. It's a circadian process. I can feel it. I can push on through if I want, but I know it's there. So around that time, and I start to feel it coming, then just put the alarm on, sit down, chill out, see what happens, come back again. And it's, it, when a lot of players go home after morning training, and they get in in that graveyard slot one or whatever. Uh, they'll pass out on the sofa maybe, um, and and sleep for three, four, five hours um, because they're they're being forced to catch up when it's not in control. And I think what you always have to understand is that the, the sleep debt's there, of course, but it doesn't sort of it doesn't sort of go away. You have to work it out. So, and I mean, you have to work it out of your system. So every time, if I look at a week 
and I think, right, theoretically, I can only get 30 cycles in that, 30 cycles or 28, so that's six hours a day, but I'm doing it there, there, there. Well, the following week, I can get a block of five um, on that night, block of five on that night. I can do four with a nap that day, four with a nap that day, then I'm back on track five and five. So I've got 35 that week. I'm not looking to get 40. I'm not looking to get 50 to catch up by going to bed earlier or adding more cycles. It's just in any one period, we never do that anyway. So all I'm doing is sort of, that was a 30-cycle week, there's a 35, there's a 35, there's a 35, there's a 28, 26, not doing that. I need to shift things around. That's too low. So it's just a completely different mindset to it. And that's where napping and everything else comes in. Snooze, you lose. No, <laughs> no cover to win. <laughs> definitely. Now you mentioned uh, caffeine a little bit back there, and I, I highlighted a, kind of a big issue for for rugby players and other athletes when they're playing night games. They're usually yeah. dosed up to the eyeballs on caffeine, and then they really struggle for sleep the following night. Now, based on what you said, would you just, um, you know, they they sleep whatever they do that night, and then you know the following week they you know, they make sure their cycles are good or is there a, some sort of strategy they could use to improve their sleep that I think, night? Well, uh, I was actually sort of in, in discussing this morning with this and I think it's, you know, I've been into places where they don't have any caffeine protocols or controls at all. It's sort of a general rule, you know, to have some or to not have some. Um, I think the first place everybody should go is that if you just do a little bit of research, tiny little bit of research, you will see a hell of a long list of everyday products that's got caffeine in. And not just your coffees and teas and things like that. And when you when you look at that list, have a look at what you're consuming. Because if you just, like you would say calories or whatever it might be, just, just see how many of those things are in your diet. Um, look for other things and just check it. Because what you're trying to do is the sort of... Um, uh, the medical guidelines is 300 to 400 milligrams because it's a positive thing, right? We like to have some in us because it does give that little bit of boost and enhancement. And if, you, if you've got around three to 400 in your body any one time, that's fine. If, you're, if, you did it, if you looked at what your intake was, and to give you an example, a sort of grande in Starbucks is 3.30 in one go. So there's military gum around, 100 milligrams in one chew um, being used. There are, yeah, we've, we're a coffee culture, so a lot of athletes will spend more time in cafes chatting and relaxing and talking and, and about things, so more coffee going in. A lot of the non, the decaffeinated products do have a little bit of caffeine in. You know, eating a chocolate cake, caffeine, you know, so... Uh, pain management is a lot there. Energy drinks, a lot there. So if you're, if you, it's very, very easy. And one project, it's very, very easy to suddenly find yourself over a thousand yeah. milligrams, just like that, uh, if you're not careful. Now the point was, if if you're not just making those little, because you, you you're not doing caffeine tests on yourself, or there's a wearable that checks it. It's really just you being aware that its half-life is six to seven hours. So if I've got one milligram, you know, at 12, 12 o'clock midday, come six or seven o'clock, it will have gone. 
and it'll have drifted down that process. So what happens when you go to sleep is there is a period of time where pretty much the caffeine that's in your body will go through its half-life. So it's kind of thinking like when you wake up, you are pretty clear of caffeine, right? So if you use that in your head, it won't have all gone, Jamie, but if you think that you've just spent seven hours without any caffeine, so it should have gone away. So now you're going to give yourself some caffeine to boost. How much was that? 40 milligrams? How much was that? 50 milligrams? Suddenly you start to get a nice idea of it adding up in front of you. And knowing for a fact that all the people who sort of don't drink coffee, you know, after lunch or something like that, if they don't know what level of caffeine's in their body or what could be in their body, there's no point doing this because if you start coming off caffeine, you know, early mid-evening, then it's going to be difficult for you to sleep, you know, because you, it's like coming, you're coming down off the hit, so you want to get hit again. <laughs> and it's sort of, it can make it very difficult. And in a lot of cases, if, if the players are getting to that particular point where they, they're topping up before games and then that's riding right through, it's almost like a lot of people I work with is, is I almost say to them, have you ever not slept and still got on with something and survived and did well? Of course I have. It happens all the time. Right then. What we do is we run into that game. We sh we've got all the cycles in various places. We're shifting from three cycles, two in the midday, two there, two there. We have this mental consciousness of where the caffeine is. So we're going to use it in the right amount because you've got about 300 milligrams in your body at the moment. We'll top it up with 100 milligrams just before the game to give you that burst. But hopefully by the time we get round to 2 o'clock, your half-life will have drifted down. You've got a good chance to get two or three cycles in there. Or just don't sleep at all. Because the time that they spend worrying about that process, when everything is high from the game, before the game, after the game, during the game, everything is just too high. Is actually they'd be better off just doing other mental and physical recovery activities and just cracking on with the following day and getting back on it. Because... It happens all the time, but worrying about not sleeping is the whole process everybody has to get into the sort of head is it's all about what you do from the point of wake to the point of when you need to go to sleep again. It's got you do not have any control over what's happening when you're in it. So it really changed the focus. I didn't sleep well last night. No, you had a bad day yesterday. Yeah, that's that's really helpful because, like, like I say, it's that that worry is almost the worst thing about it because boys will go, oh, I need my sleep to recover. They'll go to bed and then they're still wired on the on the caffeine and then you know be, they're getting more stressed that they're not sleeping. It's kind of like a vicious yeah, yeah. cycle. So now they can just think about it. They can catch up those those cycles later on and you know use yeah. use that time how, however they see fit. <laughs> there's lots of things because the I think what you the way everybody is it's. If it, whether it's in their lives or not, is what we tend to do because we don't go to the dentist every six months and talk to, talk about sleep. We don't have this regular relationship with sleep. Everything's so low. So what happens is we tend to do things in isolation. We just keep bashing on doing it. We don't really question when there are answers out there. And then what you do is if you knock on the door of the doc, whether it's within the team or your local GP, they'll tell you to you know improve your exercise eat better, um, don't worry so much, 
um, and take some of these. <laughs> and and as soon as somebody puts a pill in them, you know, a sleeping tablet in a very controlled way to reset a serious problem, not a problem, but not to be taken. And then I'll just take it night before the game, the night after the game. I'll take it there when I don't feel like it. So what they're doing is overstimulating. They've got no real management going on in the background because they're still taking sleep for granted in that sense. And they start getting addicted to sleeping tablets. The cocktail becomes quite damaging. And, you know, that's, that's where a lot of people are just... It takes a long while for anybody to put their hand up and say, you know, I'm really stressed, I'm really anxious, I'm really struggling in these particular mental areas. So you've got to sort of, as soon as you start seeing the flags, the schedules are high, what's your well-being program, you know, get a coach in like me to talk to the players and, and get them confident about talking about it. Because once that happens, you've got a real chance of not letting it get out of hand. And so most of the time I end up going to clubs a lot of the times, not in every area, but certainly rugby uh, recently, Jamie, is, um, is because the doctors were giving out one bottle of sleeping tablets a year and now it's a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and the doctors say to the coaches, we can't do this. And they say, look, he's still performing well. He's still kicking goals. He seems happy as Larry. So give him the pills. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also partly kind of our culture now. It's, uh... Is it? It's everyone looks for a, kind of the easy way out. They'd rather have a pill to fix it than actually sort things out properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which isn't great. But, but. You know, ultimately, it um, it becomes a very negative. There's, there's a lot of counter counterproductive side effects with sleeping tablets. There's so many on the market. Some of them you can even access without the doctor, um, and it it just becomes a. It's just it's just not a good place to be. Um, you know, so I actually stopped. Uh, all the all the guys in this club, rugby club, that were actually taking tablets uh, on the night before the game because they couldn't sleep because they were too too up for the game, whether they play, whether they get injured, whether this will be the last game on the planet they'll ever do. You know, all of those factors going on, and so, but they knew they had to sleep. And I said, well, why? Stop sleeping. You don't need a tablet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's scientific for you, isn't it? <laughs> and he went, I didn't sleep last night, but I watched this really positive thing when I, I scored all those tries, which really gave me a good mindset. I did some meditation, did a bit of yoga. I actually did fall asleep for about 30, 40 minutes because I just passed out. And then I did this and I did this and I actually smashed it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's a, I didn't need the pill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. And I, I know we're short of time, Nick, so um, thanks again for... For sharing all this information and, and and i think it's a great way to sort of think of it as using it as a recovery tool and not just having that you know that big block of eight hours um that's a really good way to no. you know explain it to the to the players um and just where can people learn more about yourself nick um it's just simply the website's sportsleepcoach.com um there's loads of we're posting stuff up all the time because I'm just fascinated by the subject. It's really great. So we've got lots of blogs up there. We're on all the social media channels, Twitter, whatever, constantly putting free content up there to help people. Um, if if anybody wants, you know, if you wanted a particular code or something, Jamie, for your listeners to to access things uh, at a special rate, then you just say so and I'll set one up for you. That'd be great, uh, Nick. That'd be brilliant. 
there's some um, I'm always if you sort of get sleep out of your head um, we've got biohacks and um, I bet you use the cherry tart cherries do you yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Chalk cherry banana tea um, there's the products like the human charger the rhino med for, for nose breathing there's some great books like The Oxygen Advantage, which is all about nose breathing, which is very much a part of what we do. So once you once you get all these basics right, then you can actually take things on the outside, like you guys use the, the cherries. It's, you can bring cherries in. You can bring banana tea in. You can bring a human charger in. You can bring a rhino red turbine in. You can bring little things in, and it starts to give a much more rounded approach to it. Um, so you can... You've always got that. We've got coaching services and products and sleep kits and all sorts of stuff, not designed for premiership footballers, designed for young lottery-funded athletes so they can sleep with the right stuff uh, and get educated in the right way. And that's it, really. Cool. That's brilliant, Nick. We'll, and we'll obviously share share a link for that on, on the website. But thanks, yeah. thanks again. It's been really good. A pleasure. Cheers, Nick. Thank you. So there you go, some really practical tips to help you improve your sleep for rugby performance and to prevent injuries. Uh, I really like his kind of down-to-earth approach, uh, back to basics, focus on your 90-minute your cycles. Um, you don't have to catch them up, you know, the next night you can catch them up over the over the week and be flexible with it. And also not to worry about it, it's a big issue with uh, players staying up all night after evening games when they've, they've taken a lot of caffeine. Um, and getting stressed but just kind of let it go and catch it up over over the next week so I think that's important and as I said at the start of the podcast uh, Nick has kindly given us uh, or, or listeners to the podcast a 20% discount off products on his website uh, all you have to do is at the checkout put in the code capital R 9090 uh, and then rugby all in capitals and you get 20% off any products um, that I'm sure will help you improve your sleep in the meantime, keep checking out uh, www.rugbyrenegade.com. Uh, loads of articles coming and, of course, more podcasts. Uh, and please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, whichever you prefer, and give us a really positive review, and, uh, and we'll keep these coming. Speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.